Welcome to Cult and Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another mini-sode of Cult and Classic Podcast. These are the short episodes we bring you every Friday between our main Tuesday episodes where we discuss one mainstream movie and one cult movie, both of which are thematically linked. Today, I'm excited uh, for this mini-sode because I have with me Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? Hey, hey. Amanda Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Good. Shoveled out. Shoveled out. Yeah, this snowstorm for those of us on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. I'm in the desert, and it is beautiful. Uh, swimming today. Fantastic. Super nice. Sweating. No, you just sweep sand instead of shovel snow. That's right. That's right. I'll take it. I will absolutely take it. Uh, so, and of course, I am your host, comedian and film critic Nate Wyckoff, uh, here from beautiful Palm Springs, California. Today, the theme of our mini-sode is movies we love that everyone else hates. So these are movies that somebody in some position of power, whether it be the people at large, critics, uh, a particular news outlet, movies that they deemed terrible that we love. So uh, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm going to start with you, Mandy. What uh, is the movie or movies that you love that everyone else says is bad? So the first one that came to mind for me was Drop Dead Fred. This came out when I was in middle school and I remember absolutely loving it. So um, got a dude with a crazy British accent, hijinks, kids making messes, lady acting crazy, and then she's empowered at the end. You know, uh, was, you know, I just remember really, really loving it. Checked in on Rotten Tomatoes. And it has an 11% tomato meter. That is a Could not believe it. Could not believe it. See, I loved so, this movie as a kid, too. You know? So, and my yeah. mom sat down and watched this movie, and uh, I'll never forget when he's under her mom's skirt, and the goes, ooh, yeah. cobwebs. Right. It's a little complicated, because if it's like, yeah, I don't know her imaginary friend but like they set it up as a he's a separate entity from her but then she still has to do all the physical stuff in the movie so it's like a little muddled in kind of how you're supposed to like parse what is happening in the action of the film but yes the uh the awooga awooga like eyeballs like up the dress and i think he says cobwebs he's like there's cobwebs and then there was another lady and there was no panties which is the like pinnacle of 12 year old humor right so <laughs> yeah so for anyone um, not familiar yeah. drop dead fred it came out in 1991 starring phoebe cates and rick mayall uh rick mayall is the the british imaginary friend who i just urge everyone to go online and look up a picture of uh mr mayall right now because he looks still exactly like his character fred same hair and everything uh this movie so it's uh, it, her. She's a young adult, and her life uh, is, according to IMDb, uh, rocked by the presence of a rambunctious imaginary friend from childhood. So yeah, this is sort of like her imaginary friend shows up again and sort of has weird interactions with the world. He looks like an absolute lunatic from Whoville, with like this crazy shock of orange hair. Um, you may remember Rick from he was uh, he played Rick in the Young Ones. TV show uh, in the 80s and uh, kind of a punk throwback there. The movie was directed by uh, Ate de Jong, who was born in the Netherlands. I'm probably destroying his name, but uh, there's 
he also did a film in 2014, which some exploitation listeners may recognize, uh, called Deadly Virtues, Love, Honor, Obey from 2014. And it's actually, um, Gefselt Lieb Er Gershwin. I don't speak German or Dutch or anything in between except for English. So I butchered that, I'm sure. But it's a very naughty, disturbing uh, home invasion film. So interesting parallel. What I remember about Drop Dead Fred is there are tons of practical effects and some 3D effects where he is just beaten on mercilessly, uh, right? Like, isn't there, a, he gets hit in the face and his face is all flattened and spread out. Um, just, he gets like squished in a refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very cartoonesque violence, but to see it in the real world, it's really kind of, it's it's macabre to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think. It was a very dark comedy. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it's just like for, like the subject of it, like I think that, a reason that the critics really didn't like it was that it didn't really know who its audience was because you have like all this really dark comedy with this very adult comedian. Like if you see any of his other work, it kind of doesn't make sense that he's like doing this film. Um, This woman's life completely falls apart. Like she loses her husband. She loses her job. Like uh, everything is going wrong for her. And she goes back to live with her emotionally abusive mother because it is her only option and through moving back into her childhood room she releases her imprisoned imaginary friend from childhood and he helps her to basically like establish her own personality and self-worth and independence um, but in a very destructive, disturbing. Like, it, it reminded me of the kind uh, of thing of like uh, monkey kind of way with with uh, Chris Kattan, like that sort of mm-hmm. off the wall, real life, but infused with this Roger Rabbit esque um, humor that just it, it's freaky. And the the writers, uh, Carlos Davis and Anthony Fingledon, who actually did the script from a story by Elizabeth Livingston, they did 2018's sort of action-ish I mean it's an action film a hurricane heist if anyone saw or remembers that Redbox special um yeah so Drop Dead Fred I I actually urge people to watch this watch it with like a uh Death to Smoochie you know that'd be a good double feature I think um you would be able to get that in I can honestly say that I never saw this film uh until years after it came out uh, but as a piece of sort of 90s nostalgia, it's really 90s. Uh, I think it's it's worth checking out. Tad, what's your pick for movies you love that everyone else hated? So what I picked, it's the first thing that came into my head. And uh, especially with the with the new sequel that has recently come out, I could not understand why the critics reviled this movie so much and yet loved the Fast and Furious series. And I speak of Bad Boys 2, which was one of the funniest movies I had ever seen when I was younger. Um, I distinctly remember still working in the video store, and this movie came out, and uh, a couple years afterward, it was just playing on cable. You know, every I'm pretty sure the rotation was every four hours Bad Boys 2 would come back on. And I had seen the original, which was from 1995, and it was one of those movies where, even though it came out in 95, 
it doesn't look like a ninety like a mid nineties film. It doesn't feel like one. It feels like a movie that was way ahead of its time. Uh, it, it's it is a Jerry Bruckheimer film, so you can absolutely expect uh, ridiculous jokes, explosions, nonsensical comedy. Yeah, it's and, actually and, Bad Boys Two is actually directed by Bat by uh, Michael Bay, and right. produced by Bruckheimer. Right. It's a it's 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 that combination, and this is this is probably a, a good example of why the Transformers uh, was given to him because they went, hey, um, that, that succeeded really well uh, despite the fact that critics reviled it. Why don't you guys uh, tackle giant robots? And uh, we all know how that turned out. It was pretty okay. The first one was okay and then everything went really fucking downhill from there. But um, basically, I mean, the, the, I don't even barely, I, I barely remember the plot of either of the bad boys movies because the plot wasn't really that important the entire importance of that movie was really the the spectacle and the character interaction between will smith and uh and martin lawrence which is they they had great chemistry together and even though they're supposed to be playing characters who it's a buddy cop movie they play characters that are kind of supposed to have a little friction and not supposed to you know fully trust each other or like each other that much in reality that that none of that matters because their interactions are hilarious and in, in reality they're kind of like a, a couple of frat boys who just happen to have badges. The plot's ridiculous. They're in Bad Boys Two. They're basically chasing down uh, whoever is flooding Miami with ecstasy, as if you know in in reality as if anyone fucking cares about ecstasy. Which just goes to show, like they didn't really think this through. It's like, sure, if it was heroin, I could understand the the, the uh, ridiculous car chase and explosions and everything that just messes up. Uh, I assume it was ninety five because this is this is Florida after all, so it must be I ninety five. Just carnage on the highway. The DEA is involved, which of course um, Joe Pantoliano is the poli what is he the the um, police captain. He's the cat. He's the police captain. Yeah. And he's screaming about the DEA being involved. And meanwhile, these two are literally just like, the cars are flipping, they're shooting, and they, they, it's, it, they don't care. The, just a, it's a very self-aware movie. For one, they t I think there's a joke in there where they talk about, like, this is the mo must be the most gun, uh, gun fights in one week. You know? Yeah. It's and, also, and I remember the scene that, now I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but... Uh, it it's from 2003, right? And it, yeah. I remember there's the scene where Martin Lawrence gets high from an explosion of drug dust, and he's looking at the fish tank in the dealer's house. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. And um, yeah, the fishbowl effect. And I remembered, <laughs> I remembered uh, suddenly missing the scenes where they showed close-ups of each barrel of every gun all the time because that it's it. But it is that kind of humor. It's it's a proto fast and the furious you know um more the sequels than anything else it's it's almost like i feel i feel like i i would agree with you that without the bad boys franchise success we probably wouldn't have the later fast and the furious spin-off style with like um uh hobbs and shaw or something you know it's just over the top stories irrelevant um you know, and we got the the Bad Boys for Life, the third, much later third film, from, I think twenty nineteen, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I mean, just look at the the fact that they got uh, 
it's so tongue-in-cheek. The, they belong to a special task force called the Tactical Narcotics Team, or TNT. It's like, th that doesn't give you an indication of how ridiculous this plot is. I don't know what will. The, I'm always up for a buddy cop movie, and this, this was kind of the quintessential um, late 90s to early 2000s buddy cop series. In fact, it's, the, it's basically Rush Hour, except with zero martial arts. Instead, it's all guns and explosions. It's, it's almost interchangeable. It's the same idea, is who remembers the plot to Rush Hour 2? Who remembers the interaction between um, Jackie, Jackie Chan? Chan. And Chris exactly. That's what matters. That's the. It's it, the, these are character movies. They're not. The plot is not important. It doesn't matter what bad guy they're chasing down. It doesn't matter what is at stake because in the end, it's it's not important. It's True. it's ridiculous that uh, two cops would be chasing down a drug dealer who's dealing with ecstasy, and also the CIA would be involved somehow just because the dude fled to Cuba. The CIA would be like, oh well, who cares? Yeah, I think. You got a point right there. It's just they threw a lot of buzzwords in for whatever was popular at the time. Like what's a like right now? They'd be like, well, the NSA is involved, uh, and it's and it's you know it's K and poppers or something would be the dr the drugs that and they're I, bothering with. And if I'm not mistaken, the um, climax of this movie was the drug dealer getting shot in the head and then falling onto a landmine in front of Guantanamo Bay. That is the most fucking 2003 thing I could think of. Yeah, yeah, I, I. Uh... I blame this movie for the likes of Triple X uh, <laughs> and and the Fast and the Furious franchise, but yeah, no, I, I think you're I think you're right. Spectacle is definitely on display, and I mean uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith together. I think anyone can art, can see that that's a pretty solid pairing. They both are strong personalities, and it's nice to see Will Smith play the straight guy in the comedic duo. Um, but they kind of do it interchangeably. They're actually pretty flexible that way. So good on that. All right. Well, uh, I think we have Jeff here. Jeff, are you are you on? I can hear you. I can't see you. Do you have a cam on? This is excellent stuff for our audio. We did. We're using a, a brand new software. Uh, that's that would be it. Jeff is an engineer, by the way, <laughs> a, 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 an electronic engineer. So uh, there, we go. there you go. There's your video. All right, Jeff, what is your selection for movie you love that everyone else hates? All right. So we're, we're actually, it's interesting. <laughs> You've been talking about the Fast and Furious <laughs> genre uh, of films so significantly here. Because I'm going to choose Tokyo Drift. That's going to be my film. Oh my I'm God. standing by it. Uh, you know, hate mail. Please send it. Uh, I, I don't know. I just love this film. <laughs> It makes me happy. <laughs> it's okay, it's, it's, it's okay. uh, <laughs> it, uh, and I'm just going to start out before I talk about the good stuff. The lead actor in this film is not good. Um, every Black. single word that comes out of his mouth feels like it just, it wasn't meant to be there. Uh, it's like inauthentic. It just like, it doesn't feel right. Um, I don't know if it's cause like, you know, like somehow the writer got like, you know, the uh, various Asian people in this culture's like voices right, but he couldn't get like a southern character like to actually come through, or maybe he was the actor. I don't know what it was. It just nothing about that character works. Uh, everything he says just is like it's just like almost grates on the ears. Um, however, 
I still love this film. Everybody else in the film is a delight, in my opinion. Um, I really like the character Han um, and uh, the little Bow Wow kind of comedy relief character, I think was fun. Um, but this movie really is almost the exact opposite of the Fast and the Furious franchise in that it is like really toned down. It's more of like a, kind of an elegant driving rather than like fast, fast, impact, 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 explosion, impact. Uh, it's, you know, it's more of kind of the elegance of, of, you know, drifting and, and, and the roads that you're drifting on and the kind of the connection between, you know, man and machine, um, more so than the, the series, I think in general, um, it did get in in terms of, of, of ratings uh, as bad of a rating on Rotten Tomatoes as the second Fast and Furious film, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, which, which is I just have really to is hot garbage and say um, that is insane because that film I worked at a theater when that film came out and it is truly the worst theater action film I've ever seen and I sat through SWAT so. Uh, Holy shit! I I can tell you it is abysmal. It's yeah, it is that movie. That movie is uh, a a true a true joke. So the fact that Tokyo Drift got the same rating, it feels like it's the lowest possible rating you can get on that type of film, um, because that 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 has to be the floor. There's no lower than that uh, that Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rip in a little bit on Rotten Tomatoes here because, as an aggregate score system, I am often confused by Rotten Tomatoes aggregates because they differ so wildly from everyone else's. Sometimes, uh, for example, uh, I think like like if you look at a Metascore from Metacritic, it's gonna be different. And if you look at like Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift on say IMDb, which is a much smaller sampling because they they equated a lot with their their own websites posted reviews from from visitors, um, it has it at like a six. I think a uh, six something and which I think is pro out of, out of 10, which is pro I think it's six on the dot actually, which is probably accurate. And that's taking into account about 240,000 uh, viewer reviews. So oftentimes when we look at our cult films here on cult and classic podcast, if you go to like IMDb for it, you'll see a sampling of maybe 12 to 20 reviews. And it is true that in the independent film world, oftentimes those are people who are in the film, makers of the film, their friends and family, really screwing up that um, that aggregate score. But when you have 200 plus thousand scores uh, on a site, I think that's a pretty solid viewer sampling. So um, if you if you and obviously this film came out in 2006, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, it was the third in the franchise. It's definitely one of those where. I mean, we lived through it, and I don't remember critics hating it as much as they hated, frankly, the previous two films. So it does sort of boggle my mind where that score came from. And I, I hate to think that it would prevent people from seeing it, because I, too, liked Tokyo Drift. And uh, I think, and of, of course, Han reprises his role in many of the Fast and the Furious films later on. Uh, and he's, he's played uh, by Song Kang, who is going to be in the upcoming... Um, horror TV series uh, Lizzie's Story based on the Stephen King novel so that's something to look for but I also want to mention Tokyo Story it, I mean Tokyo Drift it's directed by Justin Lin 
Uh, mm-hmm. He's a Taiwanese American filmmaker. He's really fantastic. He uh, he directed Better Luck Tomorrow in 2002, which is a great film. I think uh, mainstream audiences will recognize him and his name from uh, uh, directing Star Trek Beyond, um, the the most recent Star Trek theater film. And he's also going to be uh, he, he's. I don't think he's signed on to direct it, but he is producing the new Highlander reboot. So I expect to continue to see a lot of him. Uh, So I applaud. I applaud this movie. I don't, I I agree with you, Jeff. I don't like, I don't like the tomatoes treatment of uh, Tokyo Drift. (laughs) There's a lot more talking than the other films, but I will say also Lucas Black, no, no ill will meant to you, but that accent was real rough. That was rough. yeah, there's something, there's just some disconnect with, like, what he was saying and, like, how he was saying it and the character. I don't know. It just didn't make, it It was so, like, discordant, but, like, in a bad way, like a one-year-old, like, slamming on, like, a piano. Um, that it just, it just, it just was so unpleasant to the ear for the entire film. One-year-old slamming on a piano. I enjoy that. I enjoy that. <laughs> that your, um, that's your favorite tune? That's my favorite tune. All right. Listeners, we've come to my choice, and I cheated. I actually chose two films because there's a reason why I get so angry about the reviews on these two films. Uh, And I actually expect quite a deal of pushback, especially on one of these uh, choices. But I like these movies. Deal with it. Uh, They're both from 2001. The first is the fully CGI 3D animated film Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. Oh, no. Which was, hey, okay. Oh, no. I really enjoyed this movie. First hey off, man, I'm with you. I the like graphics are too. beautiful. Even now, of course, we have extreme advancements, but they still are quite enticing to watch. And coming from uh, the directors and game developers of Square uh, Soft putting out this first feature-length film uh, internationally, it is it really has that sort of magical tension that the game series builds, even in their weakest entries. And without gameplay problems popping up, it's it's kind of a joy. And it also has this really strong Japanese sensibility where um, you're left to ponder with these big questions about morta- about like mortality and morality and uh, amidst this sci-fi world. So the story sort of takes place in a future where... Uh, Earth has been inundated with these, uh, they call them phantoms, and they're like these ethereal monsters that sort of, uh, when they touch life, they suck the life out of it and it dies. It's just like their soul leaves the body kind of thing. And um, there's a scientist, this woman who is trying to uh, find life uh, on the planet, and, and she seeks out and finds like little plant life growth, things like that. And we have, um, it's played by, she's played by Ming Na Wen. Uh, and I think voice actress does quite well. And again, this is a fully 3D animated film that is played completely serious. There's really there's no comedy relief in this film, so to speak. There's um, no Buster Swords. There's right. There's there's no there's none of that. Uh, and it is a distinctly sci-fi feeling. So some of the gamers who before Final Fantasy had really taken a turn to include science fiction in its canon in the games, they were expecting a very sword and sorcery kind of world and so i think this was uh even some of the fanboys and girls and and non-binaries of this genre of game were sort of blown away including tad tad is one of them he was upset about that but the thing is is that this film does sci-fi more intelligently than 
in other game franchises of the type, things like we'll be seeing in the Halo movie or in, um, God forbid, eventually the Half-Life film. Uh, it's just, it's a smarter take, and it's sort of a spiritual take on sci-fi. It's not without its problems, okay? There's the, the villain who is, sees the error of his ways when it's far too late, played by James Woods. It's just sort of completely irredeemable. There's, there's no real inherent understanding to his character. Um, but there's... I don't know if you can hear that sound, but my cat is trying to get in the room, and I've specifically locked her out because this is my time. This is my time. Uh, but those of you watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash Colton Classic Podcast, may also see the door move behind me uh, because she is pounding on it. But anyway, uh, so I really like this film. Uh, one thing that really turned off, especially American audiences, is that the lead character and another character share a kiss. And it is a 3D animated kiss that I think really upset conservative social value people. Uh, there was a lot of writing about it, and it was pointed to as sort of perverse, which is weird to me, because I believe Mickey and Minnie Mouse open mouth kissed on the Disney Channel before, so I don't know what the situation is. Hold on one second. My cat will not be contained. <laughs> I want in on the podcast. Meow. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that brief moment of silence from my voice. I know we don't get much of that on this podcast, uh, but you can thank my cat for that. So <clears throat> I will. I'm leaving this in because we f- listeners. And panelists, we are friends, we have built a community, and I'm excited to be part of Cult and Classic Podcast. And you should understand what we go through to bring you every week two episodes of movie goodness. And that includes dealing with very angry, demanding, willful cats. Back to the point. Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, was railed by critics, um, yet... I think many people do enjoy this film. It has a 45% uh, tomato meter and a 48% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. But as I said, IMDb has a 6.4, and that's about 80,000 uh, reviewers. So I think that's that's actually pretty good, and I think there's a solid reason for that. People who are skeptical that the graphics are even that good should remember that uh, the Animatrix anthology of short films that came out uh, during the the uh, Matrix trilogy run had a short film uh, from this studio, which is now shut down, Uh, but it was a beautiful film, and I highly recommend checking out the Animatrix. I actually preferred it to much of the films, although I do love the Wachowski sisters' work. So I said I had two, and I do. The second one came out the same year, and this is where I expect a fair amount of pushback, is Tim Burton's 2001 planet of the apes now this film is deeply problematic uh in that it just has some storytelling problems um it has uh, a, a pretty strong cast mark Wahlberg, helen bonham carter um and the biggest problem is that well let's start about the story if anybody doesn't know the story of planet of the apes couple uh, uh in this case mark Wahlberg is a human astronaut who's shot to a different point in time uh, on planet Earth, and apes have taken the place of people. He thinks it's, uh, 
it, it, he thinks it's, I guess he saw the original movie because he thinks it's the past and then it's going to be the future. But it turns out it's actually totally different. Irrelevant. The twist at the end is only a twist for those who've seen the original, which I have a feeling most people uh, in, in the age group that I saw it during probably didn't uh, in their teens and 20s. So that was irrelevant. But Tim Burton kind of has even said he bit off a little more than he could chew. This is a very large budget, very big special effects laden feature. And Tim Burton is much more familiar with medium length productions with a lot of hands-on design and ability. The designs in this movie, I think, were phenomenal. Uh, in fact, speaking of the Lakowski sisters, it kind of looks like their work. It's got a very monochrome blue vibe. There's lots of high-tech work mixed with sort of a classic um, Asiatic design. And I don't mean that to be overly broad and culturally insensitive. It sort of has a, 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 a an old dynasty of China design on some of the apes' weaponry and armaments. And it's just a really neat visual film. They also did some amazing stuff with the movement of the, of the actors who played the apes, where they run on all fours. Uh, the, the facial masks were very well done, sort of as an homage and, and, and uh, uh, lifting up of the original film's masks, which were also quite good. And they, they did the same thing where you could see the real actor's eyes underneath the mask, which sort of led lended them more... Uh, emotional resonance with audiences so it's quite good i think my biggest problem with that film was the fact that one i like Walker Wahlberg, but mark Wahlberg always looks like somebody slapped him in the face with a dead fish when he's acting not in his real life what? i'm sure no but he does he has this like confused like shocked look no matter what now I'm willing to let that go because he was jacked in this as he usually is in his films these days and and he played the part okay but they also gave him a female human uh ape slave like love interest that had no place in the film it wasn't her fault it wasn't the actress's fault she had like zero lines almost um she was just there because clearly somebody was like well he has to have a love interest and it can't just be the ape lady which it really should be um that was the case so it's not without its problems but I'm sorry, when you're looking at films like, and I love dinosaurs and I love Jurassic Park, but Jurassic World, the quality is not there in the storytelling at all. Uh, it's, it's as Tad, as you said with Bad Boys 2, it's a spectacle film. Um, there are yeah. giant set pieces, and, and yes, that's great to watch, but the story, I mean, then why even have the story? If it's going to be bad and cringeworthy, don't do it. Planet of the Apes, the remake, like the original, doesn't have that problem. Uh, the set pieces are grand and the story is serviceable. My biggest beef about Final Fantasy The Spirits Within and the 2001 Planet of the Apes film by Tim Burton is that Entertainment Weekly listed them as the two worst films of the year, which is hands down completely absurd. I beg of you listeners, go online and look up films from 2001. You will find a list of some god-awful trash films, the likes of which are not entertaining enough for us to touch base with here on Colton Classic Podcast. So the idea that Entertainment Weekly would pick these two large-budget, uh, internationally-tested features, which have an overall pretty decent score on an aggregate such as IMDb, uh, to call them the worst, that's just bad reporting. And to this day, 
I always move copies of Entertainment Weekly that I find in the dentist or doctor's office underneath all the other magazines because I am mad Good at them man. for this. This has been a 20-year vendetta, Entertainment Weekly. I hope you reach out to me to make things right because this has been haunting me and continues to anger me when uh, we talk about this. Name, name and shame a couple of movies from 2001 that are worse. 2001, I, I don't – I mean I, I – there's a lot. There's, there's there's so many to choose from. Just just come on, give me something. Give the audience something. Give the audience something. All right, hold on. And this wasn't that one of the wasn't what when what what year did the Marine come out? I I remember two thousand one was the time when we started throwing out massive amounts of propaganda films. Uh, oh, probably. Um, let's see, I didn't have this ready, so you can blame Tad for this extra moment of silence. Um, <laughs> but. Hey, I can fill the silence by um, agreeing with you that Spy Kids. It, it's oh, whoa, whoa, Spy Kids. Well, like that, yeah. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say that Spy Kids has a niche market for children. Robert Rodriguez, deep fan of the pod. Um, but I mean, okay, so there were some interesting films. Of course, there was Donnie Darko, the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. But there were also films like, and I'm going to get hate for this, the 13 Ghosts film from 2001. Entertaining, but not a good movie. Yeah. It's a bad I film. love that one. There I, you go. Another I, I, one for the... There you go. There's another one. Um, not another yeah. teen movie was from 2001. You can all eat it. That was a terrible film. Um, I'll agree with you there. You know, and then you you had some that were conflicting, like Vanilla Sky, the remake with Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. I I appreciated that film, um, and Spirited Away came out in two thousand one. It was fantastic. Disney's Atlantis. These are great films. But then you also have films like, um, oh, I don't know, Freddy Got Fingered. How about Freddy Got Fingered? There we go. Um, you, there we go. You have you have the one uh, with Jet Li, which I enjoyed, oh. but is not better than these films. It is in no way better. You have uh, Rockstar with Heath Ledger. Um, I believe that was 2001. Um, you have... Uh, oof, well, you have you have AI, but that's so depressing. It's, it's not even bad. It's just depressing. Oh, don't, let's handle. not touch that. Uh, Val Valentine, that was bad. The Animal, Super Troopers. Um, again, I might get hate for that, but I don't like <laughs> Super Troopers. Uh, I know, love Super Troopers. Oh, boy. I don't know how you got on this it. podcast, Mandy. I'm just kidding. I don't know. It, um, clearly, you should uh, <laughs> up your standards. We, I just did. But yeah, I mean, well, hardball with Keanu Reeves. Let's let's just leave it at that. Hardball with Keanu Reeves. So I'm not saying that there weren't <laughs> better films in 2001. There certainly were. Ghost World from uh, the graphic novel came out in 2001. Uh, that's a phenomenal film. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, Zoolander, I think, is a serviceable slapstick comedy. Um, I'm a big Zoolander fan of has aged like fine wine. <laughs> but then you also have Tomb Raider. Okay, Tomb oh, Raider. Fuck. Now, there we here's go. The thing. There we go. I'm not infinitely worse. I have known uh, several women who actually have enjoyed the movie, and it's because there are not a lot of American. Even now, there's more. But even now, there's not a lot of American films that present a strong woman in an action lead role. I understand that. I totally appreciate that. And if that's why you enjoy that film, more power to you. But the film was not a good film. It was a very bad script. I didn't understand uh, its success other than, of course, it's Angelina Jolie. So I've given you a gamut of films from 2001 that I think are very uh, successfully, arguably worse than 2001's Planet of the Apes and Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. So please, listeners, push back on Entertainment Weekly. They do not rule the the cinema landscape okay 
Um, I, I Nate, want talk them about to know let's they're talk about being Final Pardon? Let's talk about Final Fantasy for a second because it's it's relevant. Okay. I just checked just to make sure that I wasn't crazy and I and I was correct. Um, Spirits Within is still higher rated than Advent Children, which came out half a decade later and was the movie that fanboys like me wanted when we were in high school and didn't get. And it's hot fucking flaming garbage. Advent Children is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I don't think there is really a dispute on that. You know, the thing it's about Advent Children is weird is I feel like it's a distinctly Japanese product in that it you have to have played the complete story of the Final Fantasy VII game, the original, in order to follow it, okay? Which many people have. Tad's pointing at himself. I did. Jeff did as well. Uh, you have to have done that. And also, the plot still didn't make sense. It literally did not make sense. Um, but it was really about the feeling. Once again, we're getting back to the feelings these things evoke. And in that way, it's sort of like, um, you know... Uh, ancient Japanese poetry, right? It's really about distilling these emotions and feelings and moments. And I think that it does that to a point. It's also graphically beautiful. But the story is truly unintelligible. Um, I don't think they had a, I don't think they had a plot, really. Uh, so I, I get it. I absolutely do. And, uh, and I will say Final Fantasy The Spirits Within is an absolute better film. Uh, it stands on its own. Uh, it has never been touched by additional lore, to my knowledge. In Japan, God knows, who knows? They could have uh, several spinoffs and things, and I'd be interested to know. Listeners, if you know, let me know. Podcast at gmail.com. But I am going to say thank you guys again for listening. This has been a very interesting, strange, and uh, silence-occasionally-filled mini-soda Cult and Classic podcast where we have discussed our favorite uh, films that everyone else hates. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. As always, playing us out is the Chud, and uh, I want to say thank you. Follow up at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at cultandclassicpodcast.com. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of cool stuff. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash cultandclassicpodcast. Who's clicking a pen? Are you clicking a pen, Jeff? No. Stop clicking a pen. Uh, definitely it's, not it's the cat. Jeff, I'm done. This podcast is over. <laughs> Holy crap. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. But what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com, where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.